Revolution Show brought to you by SaaS Doc 2017, the conference to turn your SaaS up to 11. If you're in SaaS, there's only one place to be this year, and that's SaaS Doc 2017, the only European SaaS conference bringing together 1,500 SaaS founders, executives, and investors from 40 plus countries to Dublin for three days in September from the 18th to the 20th to learn, network, and build important partnerships and friendships. Listeners to the SaaS Revolution show can get a 20% discount on tickets with the discount code SASREVOLUTION. Now on with the show. In this episode of the SaaS Revolution show, Alex Thuma is joined by Philippe Bateri, partner at Axel, and investor in DocuSign, Qubit, Algolia, Doctolib, uh, amongst many other notables. Philippe discusses the playbook of moving your SaaS to the US, uh, making your SaaS global. You can find a short write-up of my conversation with Philippe, including all names and links on sasblock.com forward slash blog. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. I'm your host, Alex Suma, and super excited to be joined today by Philippe Boteri, partner at Axel. Welcome, Philippe. Well, thank you. Very happy to be here. No, it's a, a real pleasure, Philippe. And, uh, um, you know, we, we always start the, the podcast by getting to know our guests a little bit. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about yourself? You know, who is uh, Philippe Boteri? Sure. So, uh, as probably everyone guessed from uh, my accents, I'm originally from the other side of the channel. So, I'm uh, from France. Um, engineering background. I started my career with uh, with McKinsey. Um, I was uh, fortunate fortunate enough to to join in '98, where uh, McKinsey was working with startups, um, and so I had the, the the chance to work with a, a few startups for uh, the first couple of years, and and from there I moved to. Uh, uh, to software, um, which led me to transfer to the, the Palo Alto office in, um, uh, in 2003. Um, and I was one of the, the first uh, uh, to work at McKinsey to work on, uh, on SaaS, which was called at the time uh, ASP, so Application Service Provider. And, uh, and then basically that led me to, uh, to join uh, uh, Bessemer in um, you know, in 2006, to help them build their their SaaS practice uh, in the process, so we invested in a, a series of uh, Gen One SaaS companies, including Cornerstone Demand, uh, Iloqua, Intact, and uh, I also had an eye on Europe, given my backgrounds, and uh, invested in Criteo in 2009, and that kind of opened my eyes to what was happening in uh, in Europe, and I thought the, the growth of the, the ecosystem, which was uh, uh, very promising. And then in 2011, when I got the, the call from Axel, I thought it was actually a very good time to come back to, um, uh, to Europe and, and apply the, the learnings I had in Silicon Valley for the, the, the past uh, 10 years uh, and apply that knowledge to the, the European eco- ecosystem. Um, and since then, um, so I've been investing in, in European companies. A lot of uh, SaaS investments with uh, companies like uh, you know, DocuSign, um, Qubit, uh, Algolia, Doctolib, uh, most uh, PeopleDoc, and most recently uh, Pivot. And I also uh, did a, a bit of uh, marketplace and consumer investments with uh, with uh, Blabacar. And, and I must say that uh, you know I think my uh, my bet paid off in terms of uh, the growth of the ecosystem in Europe and. Uh, uh, I was a bit afraid that there wasn't that much SaaS happening in Europe when I came back in, in 2011, and, and that's why the, you know in my portfolio a mix of consumer and SaaS companies. But in the past few years, uh, the SaaS ecosystem has really exploded, 
And, and today, I mean, I must say, spending more than 80% of my time on, on SaaS companies. And every day we see a lot of uh, very interesting SaaS companies emerging from the, the, the continent. Yeah, I mean, well, you took the words right out of my mouth in terms of, um, you know, in Europe, it, it's, it has really exploded, uh, um, you know, of late. Um, so many great SaaS companies, uh, you know, are, are coming out of Europe these days. You mentioned some of them, Qubit, Dr. Lieb, uh, Algolia. Um, tell us about your first European SaaS investment. Um, you know, what was that Criteo? Um, and, 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 and if not, tell us who it was and why you invested uh, in that particular company. Uh, so actually, so uh, I would say Criteo was a retargeting company, so it's more ad tech, so I, I wouldn't uh, place that as a, uh, a SaaS company. I mean, I, my first investment when I joined Axel was, uh, was DocuSign, uh, which uh, was not a European company, it was a, a SaaS company, but I had a very strong relationship with, uh, you know, with the management that have been, you know, working with uh, uh, with their team since basically 2007 and helping them on the side and never had the, the right opportunity to invest. So in 2012, when the opportunity came up, um, I invested. I mean, for me, uh, for, for DocuSign, it, 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 the, the product was really uh, obvious. I mean, you, you were seeing the world getting digital and, and signature was, uh, you know, remained something that people were doing with a pen and a paper. And uh, everyone has been through the pain of having to receive a PDF, you know, try to print and then sign and then try to find a scanner to scan it and then send it back. And, and with DocuSign, you do that in one click. And when you go through that experience, you say, well, every signature in the world should go through this electronic process. And, and there is a lot of signatures going on. So you look at the market and it, it's a pretty, uh, pretty, big, uh, pretty big market globally. Um, so I, I, I was... Uh, I was convinced. I mean, I've been a big believer in the company for a long time and the uh, uh, opportunity to invest crystallized in, in 2012. Awesome. So, so I, I really want to talk about um, internationalization of, of SaaS companies today, Philippe. And I think you're, uh, you're seemingly the, the perfect guest for this, having uh, or being French, having been a VC in the US and now, you know, a VC, uh, you know, in Europe. Um, it's certainly at SASDOC uh, conference, you know, happening in, in September. It's uh, it's a topic that's been discussed in in multiple sessions. Um, so seemingly something you know super interesting for for many SaaS companies, whether you're a, a US company or, or European. Um, so is this something that you're happy for me to uh, you know pick your brains uh, uh, on? Yeah, no, very, very happy to. And I think this is uh, the, the number one question for most uh most SaaS company which is you know what should i go to the us when if so how to do it when is uh when is the, the right time um so it, it's a long topic but let me first um break it down in, in a, a few key questions i mean the first question is you know should you go to the us or not uh and, and i think what we're seeing right now in europe is you know two different models uh, there is a, the first model, which I would say is the most common uh, model, uh, which is, you know, I'm providing a, a, a software that can be applied for pretty much any company in the world, being a small business or, or an enterprise. If this is the case, then you need to go to the U.S. because if you want to be a leader in SaaS and uh, enterprise software, you need to be leader in the U.S. market. 
and, and you need to go there. Uh, but there is a certain type of uh, SaaS company that have been emerging in the past few years, and Dr. Lee is a great example, which are uh, companies, you know, typically would catering more towards uh, small businesses. Uh, and when there is a marketplace, uh, where there is a marketplace dynamic. So Dr. Leap, for example, is a company that provides uh, booking management systems for doctors. Uh, and, and it's a place where, you know, the doctors has a, a, a kind of a, a calendar, which is a Google on steroid, uh, Google calendar on steroid. And um, uh, the patient has a portal where he can go find a doctor and book an appointment. And, and in these businesses where, you have this marketplace dynamics with the consumer on one end and the business on the other side, then it makes sense to gain a very large market share in a given market. And you can do that in uh, two or three countries in Europe and, and reach uh, hundreds of millions of uh, recurring revenue. So you have enough to build a great business and you don't need to go to, uh, to the US uh, for that. So that's why you're seeing these uh, two different models uh, with two different answers. Now, let's assume that you're part of the first model and you need to go to the U.S. Then the question is, you know, when is the, the right time to do it? Um, and I would say, for me, there are different levels to this question. The first level is a, a question on the product. And, and my answer is that it's, a, it's very clear. It's from the start. You need to build a product that is tailored to the global market and the U.S. market. So it needs to be in English, your websites need to be in English so that anyone coming to your website and coming and looking at your product should think that you know, you're potentially based in the US or anywhere in the world, uh, but gathering really to a, a global market. Uh, and, and that's what, for example, that's what Algolia did. Uh, and you look at their, I mean, the team, in church, even though the team started in Paris, everyone was speaking in English, all the documents were in English, the website was in English. And so the customers saw that they were a U.S. company. And from the start, the, uh, all the customers were global. So half of the, the business was in the U.S., even though no one has ever set foot in the U.S. So that's the first thing is make your, your, your product um, uh, global. Uh, now, then there's a question of when do you actually move physically to the U.S.? Uh, and I think... Uh, in my experience, if you look at the dynamics in the U.S. right now, I mean, Silicon Valley and even New York is very expensive in terms of engineering talent, very hard to uh, hire people, very hard to retain people when you're, you're competing against Facebook, Google, Apple, uh, et cetera. Uh, it becomes a real challenge. And therefore, uh, the successful models we have seen emerging from Europe are companies that start to grow a critical mass in the European markets uh, to build their solid products and engineering team there, growing it to you know, 20, 30 people. Um, and once you have this solid base in the US, hopefully you already have US customer by that point, because if your product is still to a global market, you should be able to get some of the uh, a few customers from there. Uh, and then that's when it's the right time to say, okay, now I need to really develop and accelerate my growth market in the US. And the, the best, uh, you know, in the best case, you have at least two founders. Uh, so one founder, which is more, um, you know, technical and, and typically the CEO of the company can stay uh, in the uh, European country while the, you know, the CEO moves to, uh, moves to the U.S. Um, and, and that's where, you know, the dynamic in the founding team where you have two founders who can be one on each continent 
really uh, makes a big difference. Because um, one of the, you know, once you start to be uh, in the US and there's a question between East Coast and West Coast, uh, that by itself is another very interesting uh, question. Um, uh, I, I think just to answer it, you know, very short, uh, the first thing I would look at is, you know, where are your customers? Um, you know, you, you're saying more to tech companies or you're saying more to, you know, to banks, just to <laughs> make it very simple. Uh, uh, and, and the other thing is, you know, how dependent are you on, you know, technology partners, right? If you need to, to be, uh, if you're a company like Algolia, where you're integrated, uh, you need to integrate with a lot of partners in the ecosystem. Of course, it makes more sense to be in Silicon Valley. If you're a company like PeopleDoc, where it's an enterprise product, you sell to a lot of financial services company, and you're less dependent to integration and, and relationship with the ecosystem in the Valley, then of course, then it, it makes more sense to be on the East Coast. Uh, and, and obviously, the advantage on the East Coast is uh, the time difference with Europe is uh, uh, less important, and, and the three hours that you gain uh, in terms of interaction also makes a, a big difference. So I think every company has to uh, uh, to go through this uh, uh, thinking process in terms of understanding the pros and cons of each location. And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer here. Uh, it really depends on uh, on the specific company. Um, so that's uh, that's about the, the move, and then I think the, the first thing to do once you're uh, you're you're in the U.S. and the, the most critical and, and the most critical success factor at this point is uh, the hiring of a sales leader, uh, and that's uh, I mean there's been a lot of ink uh, on, on on this uh, on this topic, and this is the most significant success factor uh, in um, you know for any urban company moving to to the U.S. And on our side, I mean, at Excel, I mean, I think the way we uh, we help our founder to select that person is, of course, uh, you know, we have a lot of experience, you know, with, with uh, you know, a lot of, of companies and we interview these people and can help select uh, the right candidate. But also, uh, given the number of successful sales leaders that we have in our portfolio in the U.S., we typically ask, uh, you know, one of these leaders to help in the recruitment process because, no one is better than a sales sales leader to judge another sales uh, leader. Uh, and, and you see companies uh, moving to the U.S. that are churning, you know, two or three sales leaders before finding the right one. And, and hopefully with our experience, uh, you know, we can help reduce that cycle. And that's what makes, uh, you know, the, the, the most difference uh, in terms of the short-term success of, uh, of the company. What what are the major pitfalls to avoid? Um, I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen a lot of companies, um, maybe not necessarily in your portfolio, but that have moved to the US. You know, have they moved too quickly? Um, you, you know, not hiring the right people. What are what are some of the uh, examples of where it hasn't worked out well at all? Well, so one. Um, so there are a few few things. I mean, one is starting with a, a product that is tailored to your local market, starting to grow your market, wants to get to, you know, several customers, a couple million of revenues in your local market before moving to the U.S. Because then you, when you start moving to the U.S., you realize that you have been working for a couple of years to tailor your product to your local market, and then you need to start over again in the U.S. So I think that's the first, uh, the, the first pitfall which you know, linked to my first one, which is think your product global 
first. Um, then the, the second pitfall is to move to the US too early and we see founders, you have teams where you have five people and the founder uh, move to the US but without having a solid base in Europe and then you cannot hire the, the, the good people and, and develop the, the, the right culture in Europe before moving to the US and then um, at, at this point you, you kind of end up being weak on, on both continents. Uh, so I think from our perspective, it's very important. First, having a solid base and define really the, the, the culture of the company. You have this, um, this group of 20 to 30 people that, that is going to remain you know, one of the pillars of the company. Because one of the challenges when you open a second office is how do you make sure that you maintain the same culture? Uh, because culture is a key part of the success of, uh, of, of any startup. And, and, and part of the challenge when you open a, a second office is like, how do you maintain that culture uh, and, and similarity of culture and make sure that the people have the same values? And, uh, and if you do the move too early, then you, you haven't formed this culture yet. So it's hard to replicate it. And you end up having something which in the end may work, but it's a lot more challenging to, uh, to handle. Have you ever seen um, outsourcing uh, work or is this something that that you would advise against so outsourcing sales and marketing you know finding consultants to represent you um, you know as you're moving into to new markets I mean I know a number of companies who who do that but you know are, I, I mean are they you, you know the, the companies that are destined for for success I, I, I'm not sure what's your view on that so if we're Moving to the U.S., let's find a local sales and marketing agency to represent us. Could that could that work in any case? I mean, in, in my experience, for a software company, there are only two things uh, uh, that matter. Uh, you know, it's build the greatest product and sell it the most efficiently, right? All the rest, you know, kind of helps you do that. And so, if you look at one of the most important things in your company and think about outsourcing it. I think it's very, very challenging. So I've never seen it. Uh, I've never seen any of my portfolio company do that, and I can't think of any successful model based on this. I mean, maybe it exists. I mean, you always find exceptions, but uh, I would say for me, sales is really the critical component of one of the critical components of the success of a company. It's not something you want to outsource. And what about, um, you know, how much of this, uh, I, I guess the product part, having a great product and making the global product and, you know, having a great sales leader applies also, well, it, it applies globally, um, you know, both to the European SaaS companies and to the US SaaS companies. But if I'm a US SaaS company and now it's time for me to move into Europe, you know, is, 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 is it a different playbook there? Um, you know, you see, for instance, and you know, like gain sites, um, sending over, you know, Dan Steenman, um, you know, to be the first person in, in Europe, Influitive, sending over Fraser Stark, you know, from their HQ to be the first person in Europe and grow that. Is that the, the, the kind of playbook? And, and do the U.S. companies move at a later stage uh, uh, to, to Europe? Well, the thing is, like, for um, a U.S. company, they don't need to, I mean, you can be a very successful SaaS company and have 90% of your sales in the US. And, and if you look at companies that have gone, SaaS companies that have gone public, I mean, typically you have, you know, 10 or 15% or less of their revenues that comes 
from outside of the U.S. So it's not a critical success factor. What really matters for U.S. companies is dominating the U.S. market. So once you do that, uh, then, yeah, it's time to think about um, the, uh, the international expansion. I mean, typically, the number one, the first country you go to is, uh, um, you know, is the U.K. because uh, similarity of language and uh, um, you know, you don't have to localize uh, the, the product or the effort to localize the product that is strong depending on, on, on the area. Uh, and, and then that's that's where the challenge starts, right? Because um, when you start thinking about addressing France and Germany, which are the next two markets, uh, that's where it's very important to try and find the, the right people. Uh, there is a lot of work to uh, localize the product. Uh, and, and the investments is a lot more important uh, than, than it is for um, uh, for the UK. So now in terms of uh, approach, I mean, it doesn't require necessarily a founder to move to Europe. I mean, the, the founder should focus on the most uh, critical market for the company, which is the, um, uh, the US. So the founders typically remain in the US. Um, but but it, it is important for them then to stop uh, traveling and spending time in these uh, in these new geographies. Um, and then beyond Europe, there is now uh, of course uh, Asia, which starts to be uh, you know an important market. And um, it's been interesting to see in some of our um, most uh, uh, most recent SaaS investments and software investments to see that you know Asia can be a very interesting market from the, the start as well. And we're uh, we completed an investment in a company called UiPass, uh, which is in the robotic process automation space, so kind of uh, back office processes automation. And, um, you, you know, started from Romania, they, uh, from, from the get-go, that half of their revenue from the U.S., uh, but also 20% coming from, from Asia, with uh, Japan being an important market for them. So I, 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 think with the, um, I think the evolution of technology in the past uh, five to seven years. I mean, it's very interesting to see that now the world is your market. Uh, and obviously, the U.S. is the most important one. It's also important to think about Europe and, um, and Asia. Two, two quick questions, um, uh, I, which I, I think are sort of relevant with particular sort of case studies. So we see a, a rise of remote organizations um, sort of these days, right? Um, and um, just in, in the in the SaaS um, uh, space, the what, <laughs> ones that I can think of that are, are I, I believe, relatively successful, but, um, you know, to, to a degree, you have Envision app. Um, I don't know what their ARR is, um, but they're around sort of 200 people and it's a fully remote organization. Um, and then you have Buffer. They're about 80 people. I think they're past, you know, 10 million ARR, you know, fully remote. Um, and then you have like a company like Hotjar. Uh, I think they've grown to 35 people in two years, um, fully remote, uh, you know, coming up to 10 million a- ARR. Can these companies, you know, uh, get to 100 million, get to IPO by being a fully remote uh, company, or will they get to a certain point where they need to like have a central office in the US? Well, I mean, if I look at um, um, you know companies where uh, in our portfolio, I mean, look at Atlassian, for example. Uh, I mean, they got to 100 million ARR without a single salespeople. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it, it really depends on what products you're selling and what's your business model. I mean, you look at 
uh, Algolia. I mean, Algolia, a lot of their initial sales didn't require, um, you know, any physical touch points. So that's why from the get-go, without having anyone in the U.S., half of their revenue was from, from the U.S. So I think the, that's the beauty of SaaS is that uh, for certain kind of product, you can sell it remotely and, and don't need uh, physical presence. Now, when you start uh, as these companies, uh, so you have either companies that have products that are, will remain for small businesses, in which case you can keep being remote and get to very large revenue just being remote. Uh, but for a lot of companies, I mean, they, they, they address small customers, but over time they develop their product and can address larger customers. When you start selling half a million dollar uh, ARR deal, you need to meet your customer. Uh, that means you need to develop, uh, uh, you know, sales network and sales offices, um, you know, across Europe and across the U.S. Uh, to serve your, your large customers. And if you look at companies like, uh, you know, PeopleDoc, for example, in the HR space, which sells exclusively to come to large companies. Uh, I mean, you know, Amex is, you know, one of their customers and Nestle is another customers. And these companies, when you sell six or seven figure ARR deal, I mean, it's a long sales cycle. You need to be uh, in person. Yeah, no, absolutely. Makes sense. And it's so a last question here and uh, um, relating to, uh, to, to SaaS stock in September. So Axel are uh, hosting the, the, the SaaS 100 Europe um, uh, on Monday the 18th in, uh, in Dublin as, as part of the conference. Um, tell us a little bit more about this, uh, this event and, and why you guys are, are hosting this. Yeah, so the idea came basically the last year as uh, uh, we're seeing so much activities coming from Europe um, uh, in SaaS that we said, well, why don't we put together kind of the, the leaderboard of the top 100 SaaS companies emerging from Europe and show that basically it's not only about the US, but that Europe is actually a very fertile ground for, for SaaS companies. And, and we published this, uh, this article um, you know, showcasing the, what we think, and nobody's perfect, are the, you know, the, the top 100 SaaS companies uh, emerging from, from Europe and Israel. And then, you know, I think it was very well received by the, the SaaS community in, uh, in Europe. And then we started thinking and said, well, now that we've identified these companies, like, why don't we gather all of these, uh, the, all of these founders together for half-day events? Uh, and the idea being to you know, make sure that we can create this community of this top 100 companies that people can meet, share their, their best practices. And, uh, and of course, uh, you know, we'll invite a few, uh, you know, a few speakers and leaders in the industry to, uh, uh, to share their experience uh, as well. So that was the entire idea of this, uh, this event is that let's get the, you know, the top 100 SaaS minds uh, out of, uh, of Europe and let's put them together and create these communities so that, um, you know, they can strive even more. Is the application process still open or um, how, how, do, how, how do people get into, uh, uh, in, into this event? So uh, the application process is open. So if you go to my LinkedIn uh, profile, you'll see the, the article and the link where you can uh, register and, uh, and apply. And uh, on our side, we're also uh, recompiling our lists as we take into account uh, uh, what we have learned in, in the past year, and um, we'll start sending a uh, formal invitation soon. Awesome. Sounds good. I, I hope I get an invite uh, as well. 
<laughs> of course. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. Well, Philippe, I know we've come to the um, uh, the end of our time here. Um, uh, you've been a fantastic guest. Um, really a uh, pleasure speaking to you about this uh, particular topic, which uh, is, as you say, probably the number one uh, topic of interest to, um, you, you know, certainly most uh, European SaaS companies uh, uh, and will be spoken about, uh, you know, many sessions at, at SaaS Talk. Um, so thank you very much for your uh, time on the show today. Well, thank you and, uh, and congrats for uh, SaaS Talk. I think Europe needed a, a big SaaS conference and i um, very happy to, uh, to see SaaS Talk uh, coming in for its uh, second year. No, it's great to, uh, great to have your uh, support. So um, thank you very much, Philippe. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Don't forget, listeners to the SaaS Revolution show can get 20% discount on tickets to the SaaS Doc 2017 conference with discount code SaaS Revolution.